Every story of success has a beginning. Every story of success has a beginning. That's why when I find someone who I admire, someone that I, that I respect, uh, or even a company that I think you know, is a good company, I try to look uh, at their beginning, uh, how everything started. And I do this for two reasons. Number one, it makes me feel better. Because every success story uh, begins with a humble beginning. Uh, everyone um, that I've read so far, you know, or I've, I've studied so far, it wasn't that in one day they had all this great success, but uh, most of the time they started off uh, not with, with, with not having much. Uh, maybe in their basement, uh, maybe dropping out of school, all these different stories. So I feel better about myself because I, I say to myself, I'm not the only one who's struggling with life. And, and so it makes me feel better. But the other thing is this. When you study the beginning of, of a people, and especially people who are successful or businesses that are successful, it reveals what's the foundation of their success. And that's super important because uh, that foundation is what, what driven those people to success. And so this principle can uh, be applied in really every area or, of, of, or every field that we see, but also in the field of faith as well. You, know, you, you look at people who were faithful to the Lord. You look at the disciples, someone like Peter, Simon Peter, who we see in today's passage, and you wonder how he ended up being that great disciple. Really, the, that person who made that incredible confession where Jesus would say, upon your confession, I'll build my church. You know, he was so great to the point that the Catholic Church believes that he was the first pope. Um, he, he was a pillar uh, in the early church. He had incredible authority, um, and, and he led people to Christ. And it makes you wonder what happened in his life. How did he end up being that great apostle? And you look at a story like today, and you recognize that he, too, had a humble beginning. And so the question is, how do you go from fishing to following Jesus? How do you go from just being an ordinary person just living life, feeding your family, to becoming an extraordinary disciple who live for the kingdom of God. Uh, I truly believe that every single person here has a desire to know Jesus and wants to follow Jesus. If, if you didn't have that desire, I don't think you would be here today unless your parents really forced you to come out. Uh, but uh, I think truly, deep down inside, I, I even go to youth retreats and I talk to people and there is this deep desire where people want to be like these disciples. They want to encounter Jesus and live for Jesus. That desire is clearly there. The problem is that a lot of times we just don't know how to get there. We don't know how to be faithful. We don't know how to... How to exercise our, our spiritual gifts and, and, and preach God's word in such a way that will bring glory to God and will save lives through the gospel. But we see in today's passage that every success story, it has a humble beginning. And so the question I want to answer today is, where does it begin? If, if we are called to be faithful followers of Jesus, if discipleship is not a class, but if it's the calling that God placed on our life to be faithful followers to the very end, then where does it all begin? That's the question that I want to answer through today's passage. How do you make that initial decision to follow Jesus? Now, in today's passage, in Luke chapter 5, we see that Jesus, he is still in Galilee. This is where he is doing his early public ministry. Uh, this is near his hometown. We read that he's at this lake called uh, Gen uh, Gennesaret, which is another name for the Sea of Galilee. 
Now, I'm not going to go too in-depth about this. Some people ask the question, why is it sometimes called a sea and why is it sometimes called a lake? For example, Matthew, Mark, and John, they all use the language sea. But if you look at the map, if you look at the geography, it's actually a lake. This is fresh water. Um, and so why does Matthew, Mark, and, and, and John, why do they use the language of, of a sea? Well, it's, it's quite simple. In Hebrew, uh, the word that they would use to describe a sea is the same word that they use to describe a gigantic lake. It's a word that would describe a big body of water. And so uh, because... Um, and if people, they didn't really distinguish seawater from salt water, from fresh water. For them, if they saw a massive amount of water, they just used just one word. And so sometimes it's translated as sea, sometimes it's translated as lake. But when you come to the New Testament, now uh, Luke, he is very precise. He knows that they don't do that in Greek. And so he puts his own spin. He describes to us that this is actually a lake, which is probably more accurate than saying that it's a sea. But either way, it's, it's, it's fine. We know that Jesus is in a territory where he's familiar with. He's doing all this ministry. We read at the end of chapter 4 that there's this massive crowd that's following Jesus because Jesus was healing people left and right. He was casting out demons left and right. He's doing all these wonderful miracles to the point that there's this massive crowd that is following Jesus. And Jesus is so overwhelmed. He feels like, man, I have to go on and preach the good news and yet there's so many people here. So he removes himself to a desolate place. He goes into the wilderness. He wants to spend time alone and yet we see that he has some stalkers. Like he, he has these paparazzis. He has people following him into this desolate place. And they're like, Jesus, don't leave us. Come on, do more. And Jesus responds at the end of, of chapter four, well, I must go to these towns to preach the good news of God's kingdom. And so he was determined to do the work of the ministry, not to please people, but to please the Father. But we see in today's passage, once again, there's this massive crowd, and the text says that in verse 1, this crowd is pressing on Jesus. It's the point where there's so many people, people are pushing each other, like it's, it's so overwhelming. Um, Jesus is concerned about the safety of people, the safety of himself as well. So he comes up with this brilliant idea. He says, let me go on this boat and turn it into a stage. And so he goes on this boat. The boat uh, is, is, is done with operation. Uh, the, the fishermen are done for the day. They're cleaning their nets. And so he borrows this boat. Uh, he sees two boats. He picks one that belongs to Simon, which we are later told that it belongs to Peter. Simon is the same person as Peter. And he decides to create a stage on water. It says in verse 2, And he saw two boats by the lake. Out, The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. So they were done for the day. It says in verse 3, Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So here we see that, again, Jesus is true to his word. He says, my mission is to preach the good news of the gospel to people and have everyone hear this. So he's not just teaching these things in private. He's still ministering to the crowd. He's preaching the good news. He's giving sermons. Uh, he's, he's doing this uh, in a creative way. He wants to make sure that the crowd is safe and the crowd is able to hear him. So that's why he's on this boat. But now after this sermon, his attention goes to Peter, the owner of the boat. It says in verse 4, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So at this point, the boat was near shore. But Jesus says to Peter, I want you to put this boat out a little bit further. 
so that we can catch fish. It says in verse 5, Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. I'll let down the nets. So we see a few things in Peter's response. Number one is this. Peter is reluctant. He's reluctant. He's not too happy about what Jesus has to say. He's not excited about this command. Although Jesus is telling Peter, hey, let's go catch some fish. Peter's like, well, you know, I'm not sure if that's the best thing to do at at this point. He says, "We've we've been doing this all night. Like, we are tired. And you have to understand why. Peter, he is he's a professional fisherman. He, he doesn't just catch fish for, for a hobby. He's, he catches fish for a living. Like, most likely, he's been catching fish all his life because back in the days, uh, you didn't get to choose your job. Whatever your, family, your father did, you did that as well. You didn't go to a separate school to, to find an occupation. Uh, instead, whatever the family business was, like you, you learned from a young age how to, how to follow your father, uh, how to do work. And so most likely, Peter, he, he, he was born and raised in this environment where he's comfortable with fishing. He earns money uh, through fishing. He does this for a living. He feeds his family through fishing. So he's an expert on fishing. So he knows where to go and how to catch fish. Now, I've been on some fishing trips before. Um, if you go on a boat to catch fish, you need a good captain. It doesn't matter how good you are as a fisherman. It doesn't matter how good your, your rod is or all your skills are. Even if you are a seed, seasoned fisherman, if you don't know the area, then you need a captain uh, because the captain knows where to catch fish. We call these points or spots where you, the current is just right and the, the depth is just right. Uh, nowadays, they have all these radars, right, where you can track whether or not there's fish underneath. But back in the days, like, they didn't have all that equipment. And so it was important, more important to have someone who knew the area. And guess what? Peter is that captain. Peter is the captain of this boat. It says that there are other people who are helping Peter as well. So this boat belongs to Peter. He is the owner of the boat, and that means he's the captain of the boat. He is teaching other people how to fish. He's leading the crew in this fishing experience. And so in Simon's mind, in Peter's mind, he's thinking, man, this is a bad idea, Jesus. We just finished our, our work. All night we were up. Like Jesus, you just stepped in the boat. We've been all up all night trying to catch fish, and we got nothing. And so it's not just his expertise that leads him to kind of, you know, be hesitant to to follow Jesus' words, but it's also his experience. Not just his experience as a fisherman, but his experience from last night. It says in verse 5, we toiled all night, meaning that we tried hard. We are tired. We are weary. We put in the effort. Like, it's not like we were having a party on the boat, but all night this was our agenda, and yet we came up short. Like, we didn't catch a single thing. So based on his knowledge and his experience from last night and as a fisherman, his conclusion is this. There is no way, Jesus, we're catching fish at this moment. If we weren't able to catch fish during the night when the fish are active, like during the day, fish are most likely sleeping, there's no way we're catching fish. And I think we often respond to to Jesus in such a way, right? That we're very reluctant to obey his word, to follow his commands a lot of times we, we hear something from, from the sermon and we read something from God's word and we understand what God is trying to say to us, but we say, based on my experience, 
based on my expertise, that ain't going to work. You hear a sermon on forgiveness, and there's a person that comes to your mind, and yet you say, based on my experience, based, I know that person pretty well, God. That person is never going to respond well if, if I, I, I have a conversation about forgiveness. Like, so many peop- times, like, I would talk to our youth and, and, and talk about problems with their parents, and the most common answer that I receive is this, my parents will never change. Like, they're, they're not willing to listen, they're not going to change, and therefore I'm not even going to make the effort to, 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 to honor my parents, although it is clearly stated in God's word. Some people would say, well, the best way to find stability in your life is to invest uh, wisely. And so the, all these principles that you see about finances, about your resources and God's word, although those are great, you feel like, but I got to listen to the experts. I got to listen to people who have money. Like, I got to make those smart investments. Uh, and, and you're hoping that that will bring stability to your lives. Um, some of us, like, we, we are unwilling to listen to other people when it comes to our career, especially areas that we feel like, okay, we're pretty good at. We don't want other people to speak into our lives. And the same is true when God tries to speak into our lives. Maybe that's your relationship, your marriage, or maybe you're dating, and you're like, no, I got this under control. I know this other person. I know this person very well. I know what's best for me. I don't need all this advice, wait till marriage, you know, uh, uh, protect your purity and, and honor God and, 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 and be friends until you enter into the covenant of marriage. That, that's all bogus. Like, I mean, that's great, Jesus, I hear you, but based on my experience and based on my expertise, which is a lot of times all my breakups, right, I kind of know what to do. That's what you say. A lot of times we hear the word of God, yet we refuse to listen and honor it because we feel like we know better than God and we feel like we have the experience. Like we tried that before, ain't gonna work. Peter is in that situation where he hears a clear word from Jesus and yet he's troubled inside because it feels like it's not gonna work based on his experience and expertise. So Peter is reluctant. But, but notice this. Peter, he still responds with respect and openness. He still responds with respect and openness. Do you know why? Because his boat is empty. He, he has all the expertise, like he has all the knowledge and the experience, and yet one thing that he cannot deny is that his boat is still empty, that he didn't catch any fish the night before. And that is the truth about our expertise and about our knowledge. We think we know everything, that we have everything under the control. The truth is, though, like, is our boat full? Like, are you really happy with your life? Do you feel satisfied to the, play, the point where you, don't, you feel like you don't need Jesus? Not really. I think every single one of us, we understand the need that we have for something greater. It's just that we're unwilling to respond in obedience. But notice Peter, he responds with respect and openness. He doesn't fully agree with the words of Jesus. He, he, he doesn't think it's a good idea, but at the same time, listen to his response. It says, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. So this is your decision. It's based on your word. Uh, I don't agree with this, but because you said so, I'm going to lower the net. I mean, what do I have to lose? Other than me, you know, putting in the work to to row this boat all the way out and to clean the net afterwards. Um, And so here we learn a very important principle. Reluctant faith is still faith. Reluctant faith 
is still faith. Sometimes we struggle because we feel like our faith is not perfect, that we don't have perfect knowledge, and we don't have all the answers to our questions, that we don't know all the stories in the Bible. We feel like we're not as equipped and knowledgeable when it comes to this area. But notice, sometimes we question God's word. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to us, but reluctant faith is still faith. The reason why Peter's faith is so great is not because he had this incredible understanding of what to do. Even when things did not make sense in his head, even though the situation did not make sense based on his experience, he said, I'll still trust Jesus. That's what faith is. God's way, it's higher than your ways. God's thoughts, it's higher than your thoughts. He's not asking you to agree to his thoughts. He's asking you to trust his ways. And so, Sometimes if you question whether or not this is a good idea, that in itself is not sinful, I don't think. It's a matter of how you respond to that question. Are you still willing to move forward because it is clear in God's word and it is clear from, 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 for you that it is from Jesus? Or are you willing to, to trust your understanding and your experience more than the words of Jesus Christ? So we see that reluctant faith is still faith. Peter, although he was incredibly reluctant to obey, he still obeys. Because he, he is respectful and also he's open to his master. And that's what Jesus is asking us. He's not asking us to understand everything. He's asking us for openness. He's asking us to, to simply understand who he is. And notice four things that we learn from today's text. Uh, as Peter is obeying Jesus' word, he, he goes out and he catches so many fish. It says in verse 6, And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. So the first thing that we learn about Jesus is this. His knowledge is great. The knowledge of Jesus is great. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. The knowledge of Jesus is great. Peter thought, no, he knew pretty well where to go and how to catch fish. But you see that his knowledge compared to the knowledge of Jesus was so little. Like Jesus' knowledge, it's so great that he knows exactly where to go and, and how to catch fish. But the second thing that we see is this. It's not just the knowledge, knowledge of Jesus that's great, but it's the power of Jesus that's great. Now, there's a big debate uh, whether or not this is a miracle of Jesus' knowledge or Jesus' power. I think it's both. I think Jesus knew exactly where to go uh, to catch this fish, but I think he probably used some stuff in order to, to bring these fish together. Because the amount of fish that he caught was quite incredible. It's, it, it, was, it was more than enough to, to fill up two fishing boats. Boats that were probably 20 to 30 feet long. These are not, these, these are not canoes, by the way. Uh, we're talking about fishing boats. Multiple people working on this boat. And yet, they catch so much fish that they were able to fill up both boats. And, and this is a demonstration of the power of Jesus it reminds you of Genesis 1.26. When God creates Adam, he says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. And then he lists all these different animals. But it's interesting that after saying that God created us in his image, it says man is supposed to have dominion, power over the fish of the sea. What that means is this. That Jesus is the true Adam. That where Adam failed, he was asked to, to watch over creation, to be uh, a steward of God's grace and overlooking everything that God created. And yet he gave up that position by sinning. 
He said, instead of obeying God, I'd rather have my own way. And so no longer does he have dominion over creation. No longer do we have dominion over creation. And yet Jesus returns as the second, the better Adam. He succeeded in the areas that Adam failed. We saw that in the temptation. And yet once again, we see that Adam gave up his power over the fish of the seas. We see that Jesus has power and authority, dominion over the fish of the seas. His power is great. His knowledge is great. His power is great. It says in verse 7, they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They couldn't catch it all, all on their own, so they're bringing their buddies, their crew, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. And so Jesus gets the job done. In areas that Peter failed, Jesus gets the job done. So Jesus, his power is great. But here's where things get really interesting. In front of Peter, you have all these fish, Peter just experienced an incredible miracle, provision from God, blessings from God. And if you believe in the prosperity of the gospel, some people would preach this passage in such a way that would say, see, if you listen to Jesus, your life will be successful. If you listen to Jesus, your life is going to, you're going to have plenty, plentiful in life. That, that you just listen to Jesus, you're going to go to the college that you want to go to, you're going to go get the job that you want to, you're going to have the house that you dreamed of. If you just listen to Jesus, he's going to give you success. And it will be great if the passage ended here. If Peter said, wow, like he enjoyed all that fishing and, and, and ate sushi for the rest of his life. No, no, but look at Peter's response. No, if I was Peter, by the way, I would be savvy and I would say this. Jesus, we need to write a contract right now. Like I, I, I have a pretty good fishing business here. All I want you to do is just tell me where. Like, you don't have to go out and fish. You just tell me where. Give me the spots. Like, when, where, how, and I'll go out there. I'll fish. I'll do all the work, and we'll split it half and half. Like, that's how you should have approached, you know, Jesus if, if you wanted the stuff from Jesus. That's how a lot of times we actually approach Jesus, that we want God to bless us, and we say, well, I'll give a portion of what I've received in offerings and tithes, in my time, and like, and now I'll keep the rest for myself. Like, let's make a deal, God. Come on. My success is your success. And yet you see Peter's response, and notice what he says in verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it in front of his eyes, he sees this miracle, the abundance of fish, fish that Jesus provided, and it says he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He doesn't propose a business, um, but Peter says, Jesus, you need to depart from me. Like, we, we, we need to go our own ways. Like, I think it's bad for me to be here in your presence. He, 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 he feels the weight of the situation. Notice that he says, I am a sinful man. Now, what does fish have to do with sin? I think it's, this is what's happening in Peter's heart. He's realizing who Jesus truly is. He, he's realizing that Jesus is not just a good man, a, a good teacher, or a man with some magical powers. But he's beginning to see that Jesus, he is deeply connected to God, that he's divine, that he's the one who controls the waves and the fish of the sea, and, and he understands that he's standing next to the Holy One of God. Do you remember what the demon said, you know, last week's passage when Jesus was trying to cast out a demon, um, the demon said, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. 
Peter comes to realization that Jesus is the Holy One of God, that he's in a class of his own. And as he sees how worthy Jesus is, how great Jesus is, he begins to feel quite small, quite little. He feels unworthy to be with Jesus, which is the right response when you are a sinner standing in the presence of a holy God. Now, I'm not that good at at video games. Uh, My video game sparring partner is actually Noah Mativer. Uh, We we play Madden from time to time. uh, And and I liked playing with Noah when he was young because I, I, I would always win. Like, uh, and he would always throw Hail Marys in Madden. Madden is a football game, by the way. Always, hail, same play. Like, and I'll, I'll beat him so bad. And now when he asked me to play, I was like, okay, which team are you going to play? Like, because you can't pick a good team. Like, I know he can beat me in his sleep. Uh, and so, I, and, and, and I know he takes it very easy uh, when he plays me out of respect. Uh, and so a lot of times, you know, I, I don't enjoy playing video games because I know I'm not that good. Um, I, I feel unworthy to play sometimes. Uh, I know a lot of us are really into different games, and there's these team games that sometimes you play together, maybe like FIFA, right? You be on the same team, and if someone that's really good at that game would ask me, do you want to be on my team? My response would be, no, I don't want to be on your team because you are, you, I'm unworthy for your gameplay, right? Like, you have to cover so much ground if you want to play for me. Like, literally, I don't even know the X's and O's uh, on how to, how to play. And so I would rather stay away from the game and just watch from a distance and have people go against each other and hate on each other. That's my personal approach when I see people play games. Maybe sometimes you feel like that when you see some people play sports, right? You feel like you don't want to make a fool of yourself, so you'd rather not play. Um, that's exactly what's happening in Peter's heart right now. Because he thought he could be with Jesus. And yet the more and more he thinks about it, it's like, how in the world can I be on the same team with Jesus? Right? Because he is so worthy. He is divine. He is in a class of his own. And compared to him, I'm a nobody. I'm unworthy. I'm sinful. He is so holy, I'm I'm not. Like, I know what happens when a sinner stands in the holy presence of God. How can I be with him? And so he has all, all this fish in front of him. Like, he can cash that out. And yet he says, depart from me, Jesus. I am a sinner, O Lord. So the third thing that we see in today's passage is this. The holiness of Jesus is great. It's not just his knowledge. It's not just his, his ability or power. His holiness is so great. God's goodness is what brings awareness to Peter's heart of his own sinfulness. Now, seeing God in flesh, understanding that Jesus is holy, Peter gives the, the, the right response that a sinner should give in the presence of a holy God. He says, I am a sinner and I do not belong in your presence. The miracle of Jesus leads Peter to recognize his own sinful nature. And that's what needs to happen if we want to follow Jesus. That we have to first recognize that we are unworthy because Christ, he is so worthy. That he is so holy and we don't really deserve to be on the same team as Jesus and call him our savior. Call him our Lord. Even that is, is something that is really undeserving. The miracle of Jesus leads Peter to fear. We see this in, in verse 10 because the first word that Jesus says to Peter is, do not be afraid. It shows you that Peter was probably afraid 
which a sinner should do in the presence of a holy God. But, but the last thing that we see in today's passage is this. The grace of Jesus is great. The grace of Jesus is great. His knowledge, his power, his holiness is all great, but what brings this all together is his grace is so great. His mercy is, is great. Peter wants nothing to do with Jesus at this point. He says, depart from me. Like, I don't want to be in your presence. And yet it is Jesus who, who comes to Peter in verse 10. As everyone is astonished, all his, 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 his partners are astonished. It says in verse 10, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. In Matthew, Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men. Peter wants nothing to do with Jesus. Jesus says, no, I want to be in your life. I want to pursue you. I want to be with you and have you do my work. I don't want you to just settle here and catch fish for the rest of your life, which could be cool, satisfying for a moment in time, but I want you to experience something far greater than you can ever imagine. That you're going to be part of my team. You're going to follow my lead and go on this mission and not just catch fish, but catch men. Lead people who are swimming in the sea of darkness and sin. People who are swimming in the kingdom of of lies and and, and you're going to be the one, Peter, who's going to bring them out from that sea of darkness into the kingdom of the marvelous light. So Jesus, his his mercy, his his grace, it it is great. That's the type of savior that we have. We are so sinful that we deserve to be separated from a holy God. Jesus is so gracious that he knows that he's going to go to the cross, make a way for sinners like you and me. He's going to pay the price of our sins, live a life that we can never live, die the death that you and I deserve. He's going to defeat Satan, sin, and death on the cross. He's going to rise again, and he's going to invite us into this life, this, this life of resurrection. He's going to tell us that you don't have to live in your sin anymore, but you can be disciples, followers of, of me, and make disciples of all nations. And this is the beautiful message of the gospel, that although in our sin we are separated from a holy God, we have a Savior who's willing to, to, to bridge the gap and lead us and guide us. He says, because of his work, do not fear. Don't be afraid in the presence of a holy God. And so look at Peter's response in verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. Peter and his, his, his co-workers, they didn't go around and selling fish. They didn't count the fish and said, okay, this is how much we made from this catch. Like, a lot of people would look at this passage and say, well, if you just follow Jesus, you're going to become wealthy and rich. It's interesting because Peter did the exact opposite. Although he had so much in Jesus, he left everything behind. That he didn't follow the goods. He followed the good shepherd, the Savior. And that's exactly what happens when you understand the nature of the gospel. This story is not about how you get stuff from Jesus. This story is about how you see Jesus is better than all your stuff. Anything that you wish for in this world is incomparable when it comes to the glory of God and the goodness of Jesus. So two things that Peter does and the fishermen do. Uh, They leave everything behind. That means they left their family behind. 
They left um, their job security behind. They left their stable life behind, the things that they love. Peter, I don't know if that boat was on lease, but I'm assuming that, that he, he owned that boat. Like he leaves his boat behind, his mother-in-law is in behind and, and, and all that. And so there's a price that comes with following Jesus. You leave things behind, the things that you love, the things that make you feel secure and, and, and stable and, and safe, the things that you love. When you see the beauty of Jesus, you leave those things behind. But the second thing is that you follow Jesus with all that you have. That you run after Jesus. You don't know the full picture. But still, because you understand who he is, that his knowledge is great, far greater than your own understanding. Because his power is great, far greater than your own ability. He, he is so holy, someone that you do not deserve. And at the same time, he is so merciful and kind. His grace is so great. And so the invitation that he's giving us today, this morning, is to simply follow him. But follow him for who he is. For he is great. You don't have to have everything figured out at this point. But your journey has to start somewhere. And that somewhere is going to be when you encounter who Jesus truly is. And you understand the nature of his being, his holiness. At the same time, you also see the invitation of his grace. So don't wait anymore. Let's follow Jesus and see what happens in the rest of the story. Amen? Let's pray.